Thank you for joining me for a few moments to ponder First Peter. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is Episode 60. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So he went and he preached the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a pitcher of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clear conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. 1 Peter 3, 13-22 There are so many different things to talk about in this section, including the section that is still unclear to most commentators today, that whole Jesus preached to the spirits in prison piece. And honestly, outside of what C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce, these have been verses that commentaries can't agree on. So I'm not even going to try. So for today, let's focus on these verses. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. When I read these words, I can't help but think of a guy that my husband and I saw on a downtown street corner last year. We were on our way into a hockey game and we saw him standing on a box with a megaphone in one hand and his Bible in the other. He was yelling about sin and salvation. And to be honest, we put our heads down to avoid any eye contact with him and we quickly walked past him just like everybody else. As we sat in our seats waiting for the game, 
we started to talk about that street preacher. We wondered, do you think anyone actually listens to him? Does that kind of preaching on a corner reach anyone? Do you think he's standing there for his own sake or for those he's trying to actually reach? In regard to these verses, I have to admit that he didn't say a lot about hope. And honestly, he didn't sound respectful or gentle at all. And I wonder if Peter was a bit like that guy in his early days of following Jesus. But by the writing of this letter, he has learned. Peter is continuing his words on godly living in this section from today. And the power that living for Christ has in helping others come to know him. We would say it like this. Worship Christ with your life. And as you do, people will ask where your hope comes from. You need to be able to explain it in a way that others will be able to hear it, gently and with respect. In the early chapters of Acts, we see Peter sharing the hope of Jesus over and over. At Pentecost and later before Jewish leaders, Peter shows how to respond if someone asks about your hope. He was ready to explain it in a respectful way, keeping his conscience clear. There's nothing quite like a first-hand story, is there? Hearing from someone that has truly experienced something with God personally, rather than a second-hand account. We often call these stories of faith testimonies. Peter had first-hand stories because he witnessed Jesus' life his resurrection, his ascension, and Pentecost. He knew exactly who he believed in and why. When I served in student ministry, faith ownership was a key focus. We knew what students would face in life after high school, so it was critical that they could articulate their own faith and know why they believed as they did. This would help them stand firm. To do this, we sought to create first-hand experiences with Christ, both here and abroad, so that they could see God at work and learn new ways to walk with Him. They needed to live it, learn it, and share those stories. Now I work with adult ministries, and I've discovered that the story isn't any different. We all need first-hand experiences so that we can grow. Yes, it's encouraging to hear the testimonies of others, but we need our own stories to be able to share why we personally follow Jesus. I wonder how many churchgoers or attenders today, if they were asked what they believe, how many would be able to articulate it? And if asked why they believe it, might have no answer at all. As Christians, we need to go through the mental and spiritual work of thinking out our faith so that we can share it. But if you and I were to meet for coffee, and I asked you, I know you're a follower of Jesus, and I'm curious as to why. Why do you believe in Him? And how can you have hope in these circumstances in our world? It's basically apologetics. 
being able to defend why you believe what you believe. But what would you tell me? In taking Peter's advice first, maintain a good conscience, meaning don't lie to me or be fake about it. Then make sure that what you say is in agreement with how you live. People hear our actions much louder than our words. And although you can't stop people from gossiping or slandering you, you can stop giving them ammunition. So with that in mind, I suggest that if someone were to ask you that question, that you would share something from your own experience and what God has shown you or taught you. Let your confidence be in God's work. And may it remind you that you don't have to strive to save others. But clearly, with respect, share what Jesus has done, knowing that it's God's work and not your own. You might wonder, how would I answer that question? God has shown me his amazing power over and over. He has allowed me to see a lame man walk, see lives transformed, and to literally see young men set free from demonic power. I've had so many firsthand stories that I could share, stories that would leave you breathless with wonder in who God is. But when I share my reason for my hope, it is this. I have found that a life with Jesus is more than his forgiveness for my sin or his promise of eternal life. It is that inner wonder of freedom that I have found, and it's one I wish for everyone else to discover. I am a child of God, one in whom Christ dwells. I am living in the unshakable kingdom of God. And because of that truth, I am endowed with a power to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This brings freedom. Yes, I know life might throw all kinds of things at me, and it has. Sickness, betrayal, loss. Yet as long as I live in fellowship with our good and beautiful God and His mighty, amazing kingdom, I have nothing to fear. Not even fear itself. For nothing in life or in death can separate me from the love of God. I know this is true. And because of that, I can let go of worry and fear and live in confidence and joy. And you know what? This is for you. It's for everyone, everywhere. James Bryant Smith, who says this so well in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, he says, You are one in whom Christ dwells. You live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And you are invited to live into that truth fully and without fear. All you need to do is ask. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen.